Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. And this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. So confession time. Right now, one of the things that's a struggle for me, and I think for a lot of people, is self-care. Routines change naturally and seasonally as things go without major disruptions. But when major disruptions come, the routines, the rituals that we've already had set up in place to do self-care can easily be shaken unless they're really ingrained in us. And even then they can kind of, you know, have to get reworked. Things change. That said, this week, I'm excited to share a conversation with you that I had with Melissa Steginis talking about the three pillars of self-care. We talk about why self-care is so important, why what somebody else does for self-care may not necessarily be something that matters to you, and why self-care is uniquely individualized and why you need to come at it again through the three pillars of self-care, which I'll give you the heads up here. It's a personal thing. It's a practical thing. And it's all about how you are best served by you doing self-care for you. That's a lot of use, but that's the point. Self-care is all about taking care of self, because like I've said in other conversations with people, it's all about when you're on the plane and they say when there's an emergency, put your oxygen mask on first so then you can function to help others. And how can you do that if you're not doing self-care? So I'm excited to share with you this conversation with Melissa Steginis. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Melissa Steginis. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. One, you tagged me in an Instagram post where you were thinking about all these thoughts because <laughs> you were getting yes. ready to talk about all of these things on uh, this show. And that was actually really cool reading, but it was also cool to kind of see your uh, not just your productivity and mindfulness journey through your Instagram account, but also like your literal journey of driving around and things. Not so much right this moment. And it it gave me like a really good feel for you. However, I kind of want to ask as a mindfulness teacher and a productivity coach, you know, those words get kind of, I don't know, Mm. convoluted at times. So I want to distill it back and say, you know, I'd love to hear what mindfulness means to you. That's such a good question to begin on because the terms mindfulness and productivity seem not only convoluted, but also really conflicting. And when I share my title, which yes, involves both words, I get a lot of raised eyebrows, which is always amusing for me and gives me the opportunity to just, you know, allow people to broaden their horizons of these definitions a little bit more. So, When I talk about mindfulness specifically, I'm really talking, keeping things very down to earth, not spiritually exclusive in any way, but my wish for people, my intention, what gets me up in the morning is this desire not only to learn what makes people tick, but also to really walk with people toward, you know, their own empowerment. And I think a big part of that is recognizing that you have this amazing inner capacity that you are fully alive and you have the potential to step fully into your life and make decisions that are fully yours. I mean, how liberating that is. And that's part of why I was so excited to chat with you, Eric, on your podcast of of talking about life beyond the to-do list, not getting bogged down by all of our roles and responsibilities to others and the laundry list of tasks that, you know, might bury us or feel like they're burying us day in and day out, but really just to recognize, Hey, there's a person in there and let's figure out a way to connect with that person to really come back to ourselves so that we can empower ourselves so that we can feel and recognize and live according to the fact that 
you know, we're fully here and fully alive. I love that. I love that you're leaning in so much on the humanity side of it and the the agency component of mindfulness that that you have choice that you have a life outside of just work though work is a, an important part of your life it's not your whole life or the most important part of your life although it can be very rewarding to do work that matters and that's mm-hmm. you know all of that is com- you know all of that is in this big old I don't know, stew of productivity that I like to like. That's why the name of the show is Beyond the To-Do List. It's not about just the usual trappings of productivity. It's about all these other components of sometimes doing nothing instead of doing Mm -hmm. something, you know, so. Totally. And I like to say when I when I work with people and just in general, I mean, what I'm learning in blending these worlds or facets of ourselves in terms of mindfulness and productivity or sort of the introspection paired with the doing, it's it's this realization that our lives are made up of time and energy, right? Like that is what you are. And when you begin to view these things as your most precious resources, and that's what I like to tell people, your time and your energy are your most precious resources. And when you view these things as such, you really start living and working and loving and creating by design rather than by default. You become present and active and engaged in your life and you realize that you have this amazing capacity to create what it is that you envision and what you want for yourself and for your work and for your family and ultimately that is what I want for other people to live an intentional, empowered and fulfilling life. Because not only, of course, does that benefit your work? Does it benefit, you know, your clients, your friends, your family, your children, your partner, when your work and life and all facets of you are in balance and when you're showing up fully, but also You deserve that, right? As a person beyond all of these roles and responsibilities and tasks. And I think that's as good a reason as any to strive to be more mindful and to take better care of yourself and to balance or kind of harmonize your work and life. Uh, You've got a new book out called Self-Care at Work. And then the subtitle is How to Reduce Stress boost productivity and do more of what matters. And you're covering, you know, a lot of this in there. I love that you brought up the resources though of, of time and energy. And a lot of the times though, (laughs) for, for me included, uh, Mm -hmm. one of those resources, time feels like, well, can I really afford to give over some of the time that I could be getting stuff done and feeling good about it being done Versus using that time on something that is going to renew my energy and allow me to go further, longer, better, faster, even, uh, or of a higher quality or caliber. It's, it's like the whole, you know, people ask, well, which is the best, um, task management software to use? And mm-hmm. I can tell them whichever any of them is fine as long as you are going to actually use it. The problem. <laughs> The problem then comes that then they have to get set up into it and in order yeah. and, and that's where things fall apart is the do, doing the homework, doing the setup, the actual building of the scaffolding to then build a structure of worth underneath it. And so that's kind of where I found myself at sometimes, not all the time, sometimes mm-hmm. when it comes to self care, because there's a huge part of it that's all habitual, I'm sure, but there's also this part where it's seasonal and things fall apart and the time you have that, that allows you to do that deep work uh, of laying those foundations of self-care. Uh, that's why I love that you have these three pillars of self-care, uh, which we will get into. But I've got to ask, like, when you talk to people and they're like, yeah, self-care is important, but I don't have time for that. Yes, that was basically what led me to write this book. And I think 
There, there's so much in what you just said that I think we could chat for hours about, but maybe I'll give a little bit of background as to what preceded the book, and then we can dive into the pillars and how to really define for yourself, you know, what can self-care look like? What can it mean? What can it give me? Because I absolutely agree with you, and and that's what I hear and have heard so much is, yes, I know that this is important, and this is what I should, quote-unquote, should be doing, right? But I think a lot of people have the tendency to want to use all of that, you know, what's often called dead time, the time in your commute when you're waiting in line or when you're just sitting at home and you might have 10 minutes to cram in as many tasks as possible. And while there is absolutely space and a need to, when you have some 15 minute chunks to, you know, potentially work on parts of a a bigger project or picture, and it can be very beneficial. And at the same time, it can be most beneficial when that is balanced or counteracted with rest and with not necessarily even like deep introspection, but just allowing your, your emotional well-being and your mental well-being that, that space to, for you to invest in them. And that's what I'm really, uh, now that this book is finished, that's where my, my energy and my attention is going into now into researching energy management and this idea of ultradian rhythms, which I like to call is the, the 90, 20 rule. We're all very, very familiar with the 80, 20. Yeah, rule. I've not heard of the 90, 20 rule. This is, yeah, the, you're piquing my interest actually, here. It's the relationship between work and rest, right? And so in terms of the 90, 20 rule, um, or what I'm deeming as such, it's this idea that you work for 90 minutes and you rest for 20 and this, there's a lot of research behind this cycle. I know I recently read Gretchen Rubin's Happiness Project, and she talks about having found that those time increments work really well for her. And I mean, she's an avid researcher. So there's just so much study behind it. And even in terms of, you know, Olympic athletes or, or whether you're an Olympic athlete or an entrepreneur or somewhere in the middle or somewhere off the side, there is this need this undeniable need to match work with rest. And we'll get, we can get into that a little bit more later. But in terms of the book <laughs> and going back to just wanting to respond to so many people who've told me and who, who kind of live according to, yes, I know I should do this, but I'm choosing, you know, to do one or 10 tasks in my time for myself instead of actually taking care of myself. I'll, I'll back up a little bit and give some, a lot of the work that I've been doing is really rooted in teaching others how to better manage their energy and their stress in addition to managing their time and learning the relationship between, you know, that kind of trio or the duo of time and energy and how to integrate really simple, like very, very simple self-care and mindfulness practices into one's life to cultivate work-life well-being and just general well-being. And so my my background is actually in social work. Um, I should yeah probably mention before diving into this work as an author, as an independent contractor for organizations, and now um, doing some coaching for entrepreneurs, interestingly enough, I, I pursued what I initially thought would be a career in counseling. And so I remember in 2014, I completed my degree. I was sitting on the balcony of the place where I was staying, which was in Cape Town in South Africa for my final internship. And I remember having a bit of a personal crisis because as I was wrapping up my degree, which I'd spent so many years working toward, and I was so used to making sacrifices for in order to reach this goal, I was so uncertain, not only about what was next, but just this feeling of, okay, now it's me, myself, and I, right? There's not the, the distractions. Once you reach a goal, it's sort of we strive for what's next when actually we need to step back and rest and look at what we've done and ask those intentional questions and check in with ourselves about how am I doing? What do I want? You know, what do I need? That's a question that really can benefit us. And I would say, a lot of people don't ask enough, myself included, a lot of the time. And I see that's the case for so many people that it leads to, you know, emotional and energy depletion, 
we're severely depleted in terms of energy and clarity and motivation and focus. And not only that, but joy and fulfillment in life because we have these different responsibilities and roles and conflicting priorities, really, or fragmented areas of life that need, desperately need to work together, but clearly don't. So anyway, moving forward, after having that crisis, I suppose, I I wrapped up my degree, I left the prairies where I'm from, and I moved to the west coast of Canada, where I live now, and really started to put new ideas into practice in order to, like I said earlier, kind of pursue this dream this intention of living an intentional life, right? One of mindfulness, creating the life that I want and really living according to my own terms. And a big part of that was rooted in introspection and was rooted in sitting with myself, right? And asking myself very intentional questions and allowing myself maybe sometimes not to know the answer, but just to make that investment. Eventually, through different positions and roles, both in uh, counseling and eventually evolving into coaching, (laughs) I found that a lot of people were wrestling with the same challenges and crises. And I felt really pulled to share This unique blend of expertise that I had and have, I suppose, in social work and the knowledge that I'd gained and practiced in terms of self-care and intention and mindfulness. And then this sense of joy and purpose that I found over the years through coaching. And before hopping onto this podcast, we talked about um, how we have a mutual friend, Mike Vardy, who, of course, is the founder and face behind Productivityist and is so knowledgeable and skilled at at what he does in helping his clients reduce the guesswork around their schedules and workflows and really optimize how folks spend their time. And when I moved to the West Coast, I actually connected with Mike and, and thankfully he saw that I, despite having little to no entrepreneurial experience, I desperately wanted to serve others and to connect with people. And I had this insatiable desire and hunger to learn and grow. And I mean, shout out to Mike Vardy. He hired me on, you know, this, this prairie kid as a fresh perspective to help with companies operations and strategy. And I learned the ins and outs of productivity. I got to collaborate with these amazing experts and innovators. And around that same time, so this was around 2016, 2017, I noticed that the online realm of business and productivity began just exploding with discussions around workplace mental health and self-care for entrepreneurs. And I really, again, felt pulled to share that blend of expertise that I had paired with just this newfound, like total excitement for the work that I was doing. So around that time, I put together an online course. I wanted to share with others some tools and practices for taking care of yourself. And just like the book, how to reduce stress, how to manage your time and energy and balance your work and life. I pulled that all into a course. It's still there. It's free on Skillshare and on Udemy and was just so excited to serve others in in that way, in that new way. And that really marked the beginning of my own sort of adventure into entrepreneurship and into developing workshops on mindfulness and stress reduction strategies as these relate to health and productivity. And I spend a lot of my time now teaching these workshops to different organizations. I've taught folks with chronic health conditions, teachers, healthcare clinicians, um, and have recently started speaking in local high schools and universities to students pursuing degrees in healthcare and education. So it's just evolved in a very organic and, and exciting and aligned way. So from that course, which I put up again around 2016, 2017, I noticed that some entrepreneurs began contacting me um, for additional resources and whether that be coaching or what should I read or what do I do next? I need a plan. I need to bridge this gap between, okay, yes, again, like you said, Eric, this is important. That's one side of the spectrum. And now on the other side, 
I want to start putting this into practice and I need regular habits. And so last year in 2019, I compiled some additional resources um, and pieces from the course into this book as, you know, this accessible approach and really kind of a manual, a way to serve as a simple, easy to digest resource for people interested in self-care. Because, I mean, let's be real, like self-care can feel really flowery at times. And so I wanted to take a very down-to-earth approach to taking care of yourself, to defining self-care for yourself, and really creating an action plan so that you can bridge that gap between, I should do this, to actually building habits and establishing routines where you are investing in yourself and the activities that you enjoy on a regular basis. A couple of things. Number one, yes, love Mike Vardy. He's one of my uh, close productivity friends. So I'm glad that you got that opportunity uh, to work with him so well. And then number two is I'll make sure to link up not only to the book, but also to those the courses uh, in the show notes for this episode so people uh, can, e- can easily find them. And uh, yes, I'm glad that you've got a, such an emphasis on it being such a unique or uh, you know, that, that it's going to have to be personal because we all come at it. We all come at self-care from different, uh, amounts of either time we have available at the moment that we can make more for self-care as we continue to see the importance of it or figure out how it works best for us that may take a little more time or maybe even better take a little less time but still get the same impact <laughs> of it. Um, we all come at it from, you know, something that's going to be self-care for me is prob- may not be self-care for you, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And so it's about figuring out what needs to be addressed, what's the best, best method for addressing it, and what, how much time do I have for addressing it, all of those things. So, yeah. And much more, I am sure. Absolutely. And there that's a big part of why I wanted to provide something very simple, very down-to-earth and personal, which is one of the three pillars. Stay tuned for the other two. (laughs) But when I began researching self-care, I found first that it was primarily described on either end of a spectrum. And on one end, there was survival. So like drink a glass of water. And on the other end was indulgence. So you'd see bubble baths or binge watching the next show on Netflix. And so I found that the results were underwhelming to say the least and really a bit concerning. So I wanted to approach self-care from a very practical standpoint to be able to offer concrete advice and practices. And what I found is that a universal one-size-fits-all plan or practice, like you say, Eric, doesn't necessarily work because self-care is inherently personal, right? Caring for the self. So it is very challenging for a third party to determine what that looks like for you. And in my work, I've done my best to really abolish the word should because I find it exhausting, first of all, and second, ineffective to follow whatever formula someone is trying to sell. So what I really want for others and what I try to guide readers through in the book is the practice of self-inquiry so that you can find and know and do what resonates with you wherever you are now and where you want to be or where you want your time and energy to be going. Because again, when you live according to that belief or recognition that your time and energy are your most precious resources, you begin to live by design rather than by default and coming to this place, reaching that or more accurately, continually practicing that truly begins with inquiry and with intention, with the practice of tuning into yourself in order to know who you are, what are your defaults, what are your dreams and desires, what can you contribute that resonates with you and makes you feel fulfilled and serves other people and so on and so forth. It really all begins with asking or by asking these big questions that Often we're too afraid to ask or we're too busy or too distracted by the messages and media and, you know, the constant pings on our phones and the roles we play and tasks on our to-do list. And again, your podcast, Eric, just 
beautifully addresses this issue that we get so bogged down by this list of things to do that we forget that there's a person in there, you know, in us that's in need of and worthy of our attention. And so part of what we need to do, again, myself included, and my intention for this book and really for my work is to create that space in our lives for ourselves and to gently ask yourself some intentional questions to find out what you need, what you enjoy, what makes you feel like you. And on the other side of the coin, where's your energy going? What's stressing you out? What boundaries might you need to set? And when we start asking ourselves questions from a place of caring, that's very important. None of this, you know, negative self-talk, oh, I'm so tired or whatever all the time. I'll always be like this. I'm not good enough. No, the first step to caring for yourself is very gentle self-inquiry. Questions like, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? What might I need right now? And it's important to just start there with treating yourself like a person in need of some TLC because you are, right? Like we all are. Well, and and do you think maybe even just going from the uh, initial approach of saying, hey, I might not get to the root causes of any of the why I feel or how I feel right away, but let's go mm-hmm. symptomatic, you know, let's treat it like, hey, the lights are off. There's a, you know, in my, in my awareness of I am burnout or close to it, uh, mm-hmm. let's look at it as like a brownout or a blackout when it comes to power and energy, which is kind of ironic because that's kind oh, of what this is tied to, right? And mm-hmm. so, uh, let's say, well, what rooms are the lights kind of feeling like I they're out on? Where where are the fuses needing to be, you know, flipped again? And let's start there and get at least a couple of quick wins. And maybe that'll be, you know, initial homework or initial research into some of those answers of those bigger questions. Though you may not find the answer right away, you can at least start to feel like you're living a little bit more again at first. Absolutely. I think that's a wonderful starting point. And it, there is a lot of similarity. I mean, I, I listened to your episode with Laura Vanderkam, who's fantastic and very insightful. And she talks a lot about, you know, time, um, time management, I guess. And, and it's the same thing with energy in order to optimize, let's say your energy, you've got to know where it's going and what's, taking energy in ways that you might not want it. Because a lot of things that we do that we invest our time and our energy in are very much worthwhile, right? And and some things may be less so, but it's up to you to decide that. In order to make that decision, you've got to have the awareness of where is my time going? Where is my energy going? Do I feel like this is of value? And let that be your starting point. There's no need to have all the answers right away, nor is that possible. I like to think of it as more of an just a a practice of exploration and just self-connection versus putting even more pressure on yourself to have the answers, to to grow, to, you know, have another personal development goal that you feel like you need to reach overnight. I think we need to take a bit of pressure off ourselves and just embrace the humanness. And just like you say, start where you are and just take a step forward or don't even take a step. Just be there for a little while. That's okay. I'm glad you said that because actually (laughs) that reminds me of one of the other objectionable uh, situations you find yourself in when you're starting to try to apply more self-care to yourself and, you know, walk back the burnout that you've already seen in your life Mm -hmm. is it feels like it's more work to do it and it's more that you're adding to your plate at first, at least, and that can be very discouraging. Absolutely. And I'd like to say, you know, your self care shouldn't be yet another obligation, another thing that lingers on your to do list. It is a practice, absolutely, something to be done consistently, but something to be enjoyed consistently as well. And If it just becomes yet another thing that's causing you pressure, it doesn't have to be. 
Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. What else is there in the, in the realm of making it personal? Uh, before we move on to the other two pillars, uh, yeah. what else in the realm of personal do you feel like, uh, you know, we need to make sure that we, you know, as, as far as what questions we're asking ourselves. And again, I'm, I'm glad that you put the disclaimer there that we may not have those answers right away. Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of some additional ways to really make it personal, to make it yours, to take the pressure off. One of the practices that um, I walk readers through in the book is something called the wellness wheel. And I'm sure some or many of your listeners might be familiar with it. It's basically a practice of self-assessment. So envision a circle. And then the way that I've set it up, there are six facets of the person. So it spells out the acronym person because I like to be a little creative like that. And the different facets are physical, emotional, rational, or mental well-being, spiritual, or self-connection. Because again, I want the book to be accessible and not specific or exclusive to any particular beliefs. And then occupation and network. So one of the chapters goes through the, the practice of this wellness wheel and looking at each facet, again, totally your own interpretation, right? Your your life, your time and energy investment and different areas of you. So this is really in your hands in the book. And um, I am here to just offer some suggestions and gentle guidance. But basically, you look at these different facets and assess how satisfied do I feel with this area of my life? How much energy do I feel like I'm currently investing in? And is that according to you, how much energy you'd like to invest in it? Because for some people, you know, it might be a low amount of energy that you're investing into, let's say your network, your, your relationships with other people, your friends, and maybe that's okay. And even for the time being, because maybe you've got other areas of your life that are demanding more of you, right? So it's, it fluctuates. It doesn't have to be set in stone, nor does it have to be a good thing or a bad thing. It just is what it is for the time being. And it can be just very helpful to look at how things are, right? And maybe if you want to dive a little deeper, why things might be the way they are, but look at how they are for the time being, and then recognize that it's not permanent. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. Maybe it is 
the way that it is. Maybe you're investing less energy than you'd like to in your relationship with this friend because you've got other priorities in another area. And maybe that's okay for right now. So I think that there are so many different variables that we don't necessarily always take into consideration, but that can often and quickly lead to things like guilt and stress and burnout. And so to just try to, for example, put things down on paper through this assessment exercise, you can, to a certain extent, I suppose, look at your energy levels in a more objective manner in a way that's not just a jumble in your head or a jumble of emotions, but it's just, okay, now I can see this visually. And from here, I can decide how I want to respond to it. And I think that that's one way to make things really personal is to look at how are things right now for you? What is your interpretation of that? And then again, you decide what am I going to really do with this? So that covers personal. That's the first uh, mm-hmm. pillar. But we got two more. So let's go through those. And then, you know, the next one here is uh, purposeful, which is which might feel like it's similar, but it's really almost in a way digging deeper into the personal, but making it, a, you know, making it um, optimally applicable to you. Is, is maybe my interpretation of it, if I'm not mistaken. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so like you say, I mean, personal is sort of like made by you for you. And your purpose is your why. I mean, your purpose is your first question, I would say, and your ultimate goal. So it's what your, your self-care practice or your action plan, because the, the purpose of the book, the course, um, is to create somewhat of a self-care action plan. So you want to ensure that it answers the why. Why is this important to you? This is That's a question that's probably the first question of the entire book. And in terms of things like self-care or productivity, it's asking yourself, why is it important to you? Why do you want to be more productive? So one of the steps that we go through in the book is defining self-care for yourself and defining productivity for yourself. And once you've done that, then you go ahead to, okay, and based on your definition, what is what is its purpose? What are you hoping to gain from that? So let's say, for instance, your definition of um, productivity is to streamline your work processes, to cut down on time spent in the office unnecessarily, right? There you go. You've got your definition. And Yet the streamlining process is half the battle, right? The other half, the long-term make or break lies in what you do with the extra time that you now have. And that's where the purposeful comes in. Because if you save yourself an extra hour of work each day only to slump on your couch and watch an extra hour of TV, there's not necessarily a long-term benefit, right? You're very likely to tire of the extra time on the couch and just default back to longer work days. And so on the other hand, if your definition is to streamline your productivity, to spend less wasted time in the office so that you can sit down and eat dinner with your family each night, now you've got a purpose. Now you've got your why, right? One of the teachers of the classrooms that I speak in from time to time, she's so good like this. And I don't think I had a teacher remotely near this when I was in school. She would encourage her students to ask so what? Which is a risky move when you're teaching high school students. <laughs> Again, that goes back to the purposeful. So what? What? What is the point of wanting to take care of yourself? I mean, that's a pretty bold question for me to ask, but really it's important for you to know the answer for yourself. And the same thing I hear with managing your time, managing your energy, being more productive. So many people that, and maybe you experience this too, Eric, is they say, okay, I want to be more productive. And I say, why? And sometimes you're met with a blank stare, like you're a bit crazy for asking why, because everybody wants to be more productive. It's very in right now, (laughs) but but it's also like, oh, because I want to get more done. Oh, but you have so much to do now. Why do you want more? You know, and when you actually sit 
with the question, why do I want to be more productive? And you begin to unpack the layers of the onion, then it's, it's things like, I want to be able to have energy for my partner. I want to be able to make it home for dinner each night, right? Or maybe it's so that you have the time and the energy after work to further a personal project, whether that's a side hustle or something that just really brings you joy. So by clarifying your purpose or motivation and including it in your definition or keeping it at the forefront of your mind, you're more likely to build productive and meaningful habits and much more likely to stick to them. That's the thing right there is I think the motivation or the repeating of the action, not just the initial self-care action, but the repeating of it is where the actual care happens. It's not, you know, I don't just eat a salad one time, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's a good start, but I absolutely agree with you. (laughs) Not the be all end all. Right. And, and, and that's the point right there is, and, and actually, you know, it's not just about that. I mean, it is definitely still about habitualizing some, uh, if not all or as much as you can. You know, it's, it's about having it to the point where that momentum, uh, or motivation, I should say, it's about having that motivation that gets it to momentum, that gets it to habitualization. But again, even then things change seasonally. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that's literal seasons where it's different weather outside, which can definitely change things, uh, mm-hmm. routines, et cetera, or it's different, uh, like school years where like, for example, my kids are home now and have been for a while, but now we're officially into the summertime. And so I have people home all day with me while I'm doing my work. And that definitely is a different style of, uh, work for me. So that's a different season. So. Yeah, totally. And that's, that's a big part of why I wanted to include and really kind of wrap the book around the third pillar, which is practical. So we have personal, which is kind of cultivating awareness and connecting with yourself and ensuring that, you know, what you're doing is relevant to and meaningful for you. There's purposeful, which is again, answering that why and cultivating fulfillment and eventually practical, I would say, and I define it within the realms of integration and consistency. And like you mentioned, Eric, having space for adaptability, because something that's practical for you in the thick of winter might not work so well in the summer when everyone's home. So it's important to, because self-care, because everything really is an ongoing practice in terms of self-care, it's important to reevaluate regularly and to check in with yourself. Is this still working? Is this still relevant? What changes can I make or do I need to make? But practicality is really about asking the questions, okay, am I creating realistic goals and ideas, realistic based on you know, the tools and resources that you have. And again, back to personal, relevant, relevant to you, meaningful for you. Do you have the supports that you need in order to move in a certain direction? If not, how can you get them, right? What other options might you have? And so this really branches off of the the personal pillar, making your practice, making your plan relevant to and meaningful for you. Because if the self-care activities that you want to practice aren't practical, then it's going to be really hard to tailor your plan to you. And I see this so much. It's, it's become actually quite heartbreaking to see just how many, especially new entrepreneurs, are consuming courses and content and workshops and paying, you know, wild amounts of money that they don't yet have on other people's blueprints and formulas. And I think I'm not trying to, you know, say that you shouldn't learn from other people because absolutely it's, it's incredibly valuable. And at the same, same time, it's incredibly important to pair that with checking in with yourself on what do I already know? And what do I want? Is this going to move me in the direction that 
I want to go in, not just the direction that this person says that I should go in. But that takes a lot more energy, right? To ask ourselves those questions, yet it yields much more meaningful and long-lasting results. And when it comes to creating work that's meaningful, both for you and for the people that you want to serve, as well as living a life that is fulfilling, I think, and I've found, and I really believe that it's important and essential to spend that energy asking yourself those big questions and checking in with yourself to assess whether or not, you know, you are doing what is best for you and what you're uniquely, potentially uniquely suited for. And so that, that kind of mixes together, you know, personal, purposeful, and, and in the long term practical, because when you do something that's yours, it makes it much more practical because it's already tailored to you. And so you don't have to worry so much about adapting because, you know, now this person says to pivot here and there and, and you have more energy because you're more self-directed. You're behind the wheel. And that's what I'm all about. Yeah. In, in a sense, there's no best practices when it comes to you that you don't yourself create. Right. I mean, you can learn from other people's best practices that they, you know, tried and tested out on themselves and you can adopt those and test them yourself. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be a perfect fit. It's like wearing somebody else's shoe size or something. Yes, exactly. uh, And it also seems to me like this wraps around back into the practical wraps around back into the personal and the purposeful because it isn't just a one-time thing that you sit down and figure out, okay, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? Like that's an ongoing process. It's not, but it, but the more you do it, the more muscle memory or, or mindful memory even that you have, uh, <laughs> feel free to take that, uh, <laughs> that, that. you know, that the more of that that you have, the more quickly and easily with more practice, it's kind of like with meditation. The more you do it, the more you can – and again, some people hate it. Some people uh, have hated it and then gotten better at it. That's where I'm kind of hopefully at. Um, but the more you do it, the more you practice it, the more you get used to it not being some huge chore. Kind of like, uh, again, mm-hmm. a different self-care kind of a thing. Kind of like with push-ups where – if you're not doing them at all right now, obviously dropping and giving me 50 is going to be almost near impossible, but doing five, totally doable. And then doing 10 in a week, if you've been doing like five a day for a while. And so that's why the practicality of it folds back into the personal and the purposeful. Yeah, I love those examples. And even from the meditation practice, like if you are struggling and really, really not enjoying, you know, still seated meditation, guess what? You're in luck. There are multiple ways to meditate. There's walking meditation. There's deep breathing. There's moving meditations. There's yoga. And it doesn't have to look a certain way. And I think that that's the beauty of these these terms that feel really ambiguous, right? Like mindfulness and self-care. What I love about exploring and researching these things is that I get to kind of shake people a a little bit and say, okay, I understand that you let's say, really dislike meditation. And if that's the case, that's fine. But perhaps if this is something that you really want to get into, not because you feel you should, but because you genuinely want to explore it and you believe in the benefits, then maybe let's just tailor it to be a little bit more personal and practical for you and ensure that you're staying rooted in that purpose so that you know not only what it is you want to get out of it, but what you want to also put into it. And I think, yeah, that's just so, so, so liberating when you look at these concepts and ideas is that you don't necessarily need a blueprint. You don't need a five-step formula. You can take those and you can adapt them to what's going to work for you. And actually that's your best option. Perfect. I know there's a lot more we could dive into here, but again, this is less about saying, oh, here's the things you need to do for self-care. It's more, 
these are the things you need to think about before you even start down this path. This is <laughs> this is the pre homework in a way, and and I like that because honestly, people skip right past this. They jump into something. They feel good. Actually, they feel crappy. To be honest, they they will do some things that will probably. If they were to stick with them, make them feel great, but they don't because it makes them feel crappy to start with and they overdo it and they, and they don't do it for the right reason. They don't have a momentum. They don't have, they haven't made it personal. All honesty, not be practical at all based on the amount of time or energy that they start with towards it. And so this is really good stuff to start with and decide, you know what? What are some of those little slivers of the piece of the pie of the pie chart that I can gain back energy-wise and even time-wise through some self-care? And so I'm really appreciative to this. This is going to be great for a lot of people out there. Oh, fantastic. And and just a, a final note on my part, just really tell yourself, encourage yourself, believe that it doesn't have to be complicated, nor does it have to look a certain way. And generally, things aren't nearly as complicated as you think or want to believe that they have to be. And I've found that so much clarity comes from observation and inquiry. So beginning with asking intentional questions. How do I feel? What do I want? What's working? What's not? And actually spending time with these questions and answering honestly with and for and and to yourself, because this might be, it might sound very simple, right? But as we know, simple does not necessarily equate to easy. And it's not necessarily always what you want to do in the moment, but it is a continuous self-investment and it's very powerful as a practice. For sure. So I am going to uh, actually, so like I said, I will make sure to uh, link up to the courses that you had done as well as the book. Obviously, it's called Self-Care at Work, How to Reduce Stress, Boost Productivity, and Do More of What Matters. And uh, Melissa, it's been awesome to talk with you. We'll have to have you back on again soon. Cheers. Yeah, it's been such a treat. Thanks so much, Eric. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Melissa Steginis. I know that it helped me to revisit self-care after having things shaken up a number of times, not just seasonally, not just with major things disrupting the seasons that normally shift. I hope that you found this conversation helpful. If you did, I'm sure somebody else you know would as well. Would you do me the favor of hitting that share button in that podcast player app of choice you're listening to this in or on desktop at beyondthetodolist.com. Find that one person you know needs to hear this. Share it with them. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next episode.